Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 20, 1 Samuel chapter 20, we continue, of course, our study of 1 Samuel, and we're seeing the lives of basically Samuel and Saul and Jonathan and David. And if you remember last time we looked, and this, this is uh, messing up a little bit, but, um, so I may have to press it more than once, but we've been looking at Samuel, who was the last judge, a godly man. It, it, there's not much left. Samuel's going to pass away pretty soon. He's been a great leader. Saul was seen the first king of Israel. He's a man of the flesh. He was anointed as king, but God has already rejected him from being king. We're seeing Jonathan, who is Saul's son, who is a godly man and is a very close friend of David. And then we've seen David, who as a young boy, around 15 to 16 years old, was anointed already as the king of Israel. He'll be the second king of Israel, and, but he won't become the king till he's age 30. So we're seeing this transition. As Saul is still the king, David has already been anointed as the king. He's a man after God's own heart, and we're seeing some, just some great things there. And as we look at this, we're seeing that Saul, who's the first king, is really a man of the flesh, and we've been seeing him, and we said things like, Saul is jealous, he's envious, he's envious of his own son, he's jealous of David, he's not a great leader, he's not done the right things, he's disobeyed God, those kind of things. David now is going to be the second king, is a man of faith, even as, a, we could even say this, as a boy of faith, he's still young, and, and we're seeing some great things. As we, as we continue, we're seeing that God has rejected Saul. Why? Because he didn't trust God, he didn't do what God wanted him to do, he didn't obey. And then at the same time, we see that God has chosen David. Why? Because David is faithful in little things and faithful in big things. David was faithful to do whatever his father told him to do anything, and he's faithful in the big things when he fought Goliath, those kind of things. What we've been looking at is that Saul is jealous of David and wants to kill him. This is where we are. In fact, in 1 Samuel 20, Saul has already tried to kill David twice, and David's on the run from Saul. David is faithful to serve, and he trusts God. And so as we look at this passage, what's going to happen? And so as we look at it, we're going to see how Saul deals with his son, Jonathan. Remember, Jonathan is David's best friend. We're going to see David's on the run. And then we raise the question, how do we, how do we respond? How do we live? What do we do when things go wrong? Well, as we start, just want to remind you, we all, you know, we all want people to like us, right? We want everybody to like us. We think, oh yeah, everybody should. Why wouldn't somebody not like you, you know? But there's times that some people, they're just not going to like you. And you say, well, what did I ever do to them? And the answer is nothing. And sometimes there are some people who will just not like you just because of who you are, just, just the fact they say, I don't like the way you look, or I don't like the way you act, I don't like all these kind of things. And sometimes that happens. You remember growing up that there were always those bullies that would pick on other people. Well, when we think about this passage, Saul is going after David. Saul hates David. Saul wants to kill David. And we could say, well, what did David ever do? David never did anything. In fact, David did everything right. David did everything that Saul told him to do. David did everything right. He'd go to battle. He'd grab great victories. But Saul is jealous. They came back from the victory with defeating Goliath, and the lady said, Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands. Well, when Saul heard that, he said, that's ridiculous. He's getting more pride. I mean, he's, they're, they're thinking he's better than I am. And Saul became jealous. And from that point on, he wanted to kill David. And that's what we've seen all this time. And uh, we saw in the last couple of weeks that Saul tried to kill David. David went to his house. They surrounded David's house. Saul sent men to get him. They snuck him out the window, and he kind of ran off. And he and Jonathan had met together. So Saul is trying to kill David. And that's where we are. They, David and Saul... Uh, David and Jonathan meet together, and they have this secret. That's why I called it the secret plan. Here's the plan. David and Saul, Jonathan are together. There's going to be a new moon feast, and I'll explain it more in just a minute. David is not going to go to the feast. He's supposed to, but he's not. 
He's going to hide in a field behind a big rock. When Jonathan goes to the banquet and finds out, and Saul says, where's David? And Jonathan tells him that he's not there. How does Saul react? If Saul reacts fine, Jonathan's going to go tell David and say, everything's okay. If Saul gets very angry, then Jonathan knows that Saul wants to kill David, so he's going to come tell David that he's going to be killed, and so he's got to run for his life. So that's the plan. That's where we are. David, so as we get ready, as we look at verse 24, I want you to find that David is out in a field hiding, waiting for Jonathan to come to tell him what's going on. So look at uh, uh, the, the secret plan, the secret place. So look, it starts off, look at verse 24. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. Well, this is called the, the new moon feast, and let me explain it to you. At the Jewish Jewish people, uh, under the whole system of the Mosaic Law, Jewish had all kind of things. They had all kind of festival, all kind of feast days. I, I had a friend that was a Jewish when I was coaching at Mississippi State. He had a jewelry store in, in Starkville, and uh, he was a great friend of mine. And I'd go talk to him, and I'd say, uh, you're Jewish. And he'd go, yeah. I said, why, why do you uh, sell crosses? And he said, because you Christians will buy them. And I said, okay, all right. And he said, he used to say to me, he said, you know, being Jewish is better than being Christian because we have a lot more holidays than you have. And so I'd say, well, you do have more holidays. One of the holidays was called a new moon feast. At the first of every month, there's a new moon for the Jewish, Jewish calendar is based on the moon. That's 360 days in a year, 12 months of 30 days apiece. So uh, at the first of a month, there's a new moon. And sometimes they would have one day set apart. Sometimes it would be two days. So at the first of a month, someday they would have a feast on the first day of the month, or they'd have a feast on the first two days of the month. In this passage, it's a new moon feast, and it's two days. It's going to be two different days, so watch what happens. Look at verse uh, 24. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. Well, here it is. This is the, the feast, and, and David's place is empty. Notice, the king sat at his seat as usual, the seat by the wall. Then Jonathan rose up, and Abner sat down by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Now, when they all sat down to eat, they looked, and the place where David usually sat is not, nobody's there. Now, this is a festival and a feast, and if you, David should have been there because it was basically dishonoring to Saul if he wasn't there. Now, notice how they sat. Saul sits with his back to a wall. The kings always did that because they didn't want anybody sneaking up behind them to kill him. So they always sit with their back to the wall. Jonathan is there. A guy by the name of Abner is there, who's the main general for Saul. And it says, but David's place was empty. And so what happened? So nevertheless, verse 26, Saul did not speak anything that day, for he thought it's an accident that he's not clean. Surely he's not clean. Now, what's he talking about? He figured that David wasn't there because David was unclean. To eat the feast, you had to be clean. And that means you had to be pure. Well, how could you be unpure? Well, if you, if you accidentally, if you were walking and you accidentally stepped on a dead animal or if you touched something dead, you're unclean. And you're unclean all the way to the next day. And so Saul must figure, he says, David must have touched a dead animal. David must have done something that made him unclean. That's why he's not at the feast. And then he thought, surely he'll be here tomorrow. That's what he thinks. So he says, surely he's unclean for some reason. So now it comes about the next day. Uh, verse 26, it says, Nevertheless, Saul did not speak anything that day. He thought it must be an accident. He's not clean. Surely he's not clean. 
It came out on the next day, the second day of the new moon, that David's place was empty. So Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to the meal either yesterday or today? He says, what's going on? He wasn't here yesterday. Now, I could understand maybe he was unclean yesterday, but why isn't he here today? Well, look what Jonathan is going to say. And and by the way, Jonathan's going to lie. Watch what he says. Jonathan answered, uh, then answered Saul. David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. For he said, please let me go since our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to attend. And now if I found favor in your sight, please let me get away that I may see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. And so he basically said, David has to go to Bethlehem, because go back to his hometown because his family is having a sacrifice. Now, Jonathan had made that up. David's out in the field hiding, trying to find out what the response is going to be by Saul because he's not there. But Jonathan says, well, you know, his family has this banquet thing. They have a special sacrifice. And so he asked me if he could go. And so basically Jonathan is saying, so I told him he could go. Now watch what happens. Now remember, what's the plan? If when David's not there, if Saul goes, nah, that's no big deal, then everything's going to be okay. But if Saul gets mad, then he's coming after David. So let's see what happens. Look at the next verse. Verse 30, then Saul's anger burned. Now, I want you to notice the verse carefully. Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, not against David, watch. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you're choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? When you read that passage, you go, what in the world is he saying? His anger burned, and notice his response. Anger's against Jonathan. You know why? Because he's mad at Jonathan because he knows Jonathan's lying. He knows that he's protecting David and he's lying. And so he's really mad at his son. Now, Saul is an evil man. Saul is a bad man. Saul is a jealous man. We already saw earlier that he actually almost put his own son to death earlier back in one of those earlier battles. We've seen that sort of thing. So he's really mad at Jonathan. Now, when you look at this verse, he says some strange things in there, and, and I want you to, to, to see what he's talking about and, and see how it fits. Look what he says. He says, you are a son of a rebellious woman. Now, let me tell you what he's actually saying. He's saying, obviously, your mother had sex with somebody else, and you're not my son because... If you were my son, you would side with me, so your mother must be bad. You must be the son of a rebellious woman who who you are not even my son. That's what he's really saying. He's saying your mother must have had sex with somebody else, and that's why you're here, and she's a rebellious woman, and you're a son of a rebellious woman. And then he goes on and says, he says, Do you, I know you're choosing the son of Jesse, that's David, to your own shame and to your mother's nakedness. He's saying, if you become, if David becomes the king, you're going to be embarrassed and your mother's going to be embarrassed. And he's really jumping all over Jonathan and saying that, listen, if you were my real son, you would be on my side. So your mother must be bad because you obviously are my real son or you would be on my side. That's what he says. And then he says a statement that is the key. Watch what he says. Verse 31. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established 
Therefore now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. Now here's what he says, and this is the key. He says, as long as David lives, you'll never be the king. Saul knows that David's going to be the next king. Even though he doesn't want to admit it, he knows it. He knows that God's already rejected him. He's already had Samuel. God had Samuel come to Saul and say, you've been rejected as the king. So Saul knows he's not going to get to be the king. He knows David's going to be the king, and he knows that as long as David is alive, his son will never be king. Because normally, when a king died, the king's son became the next king. But that's not God's plan this time. God's plan is that David would be the king. And so Saul says to his son, as long as, just, as, long as David is alive, you will never be the king. So send for him so we can kill him. Let me tell you something. What is the reaction to God's will? Saul's reaction to God's will is to stop it. Jonathan's reaction to God's will is to follow it. Let me show you what I mean. Saul knows David's supposed to be the next king. He's been rejected, and David has been anointed. And what he should say is, I don't understand all this. I thought I was going to be king. I messed up, so David's going to be king. That's not what he says. He says, I'm not going to let David be king. In fact, I will kill him. What does Jonathan say? Jonathan says, I could be the next king because that's kind of how it works. But God's picked David to be king. So if God wants David to be king, let him be king and I will serve David. In fact, we're going to find later on that Jonathan actually says to David, he says, you will be king and I will serve you. Saul did not want the will of God. He fought it and tried to kill David. Jonathan wanted the will of God. He wanted to accept it and to follow after David. How do you deal with the, word of, the will of God? The will of God is found in the word of God. Do we choose to live by the Bible? Do we choose to say that whatever the word of God says, it's accurate and true? We want our lives to count for us. We see the scripture, the truths of the Bible. I know some people who say, well, I know what it says, but... And what they're saying is, I know what it says, but I'm not going to follow that. Each one of us should live by the inspired, perfect word of God. And let me say one other thing, too. The, the, Bible, the, the Christian life is a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. It is not legalism. It is not rules. There are a lot of people who think the Christian life is just make a whole bunch of do's and don'ts and try to live that way. We live in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Bible as a walk of faith. And so we go to the Scripture to see the truths and principles that we live by. We're seeing them even from the Old Testament. And we see them, of course, in the New Testament. So how do you look at the Scripture? How do you look at God's will? Because God's will is found in God's Word. I hope and pray that we all would say, whatever God says, that's what we will try to do. We want to live according to the Scripture. So Saul is angry, and he says, you're, a rebellious, you're, you're, you're the son of a rebellious woman. As long as David's alive, you'll never be the king. We must kill him. And so Jonathan answered, verse 32, he's, to his answer, Saul, his father, and said, why? Why should he be put to death? What has he done? He knows he's done nothing wrong. And see, this is the thing that's so amazing. David has only done what is right, and Saul hates him. There are going to be people in your life that you're going to do what's right. You're going to try to be good. You're going to try to be nice. You're going to try to live for God. And there are going to be some people who will not like you on purpose. 
and they'll be against you. And you can actually say to them, what have I ever done to you? And the answer is nothing. They just don't like you. David has done everything right, and Saul hates him and wants to kill him. It's because Saul's jealous, and so Saul is upset. So what it says, Jonathan says to him, why, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Well, that's made him so mad. Watch what Saul does, verse 33. Then Saul hurled a spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. You think? He threw the sword. He threw this, this thing. He, he, he knew it. He said, man, I, Saul tried to kill Jonathan. Now, think about this. He tried to kill his own son. We know already he picked up a spear and tried to kill David twice. He threw it, and, and David, he missed David twice. And now he threw a spear and missed his son. Now, obviously, Saul's not that good with a spear. But anyway, the thing about it, you got to think, he's running for their lives. So what would you do if you're Jonathan? You'd say, I think I got the answer. He's going to try to kill David. That's the plan. That's what he wants to do. So look what it said there. Uh, then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. And let me just tell you from the Hebrew, you can't tell where it says father had dishonored him, whether he was talking about dishonoring David or dishonoring Jonathan, but, John, but Saul has dishonored both of them. Well, what's going to happen? It's time for Jonathan to get the word to David. And so remember, let me, let me remind you, Jonathan's going to leave. He's going to go out, and he's going to have a little boy with him. And he's going to have some arrows. David is hiding behind a rock in a field. And Jonathan is going to shoot an arrow. And as the boy goes to get the arrow, Jonathan's going to say, the arrow is beyond you. When David hears that, he knows that his life is in danger. He's got to run. If... Jonathan would have said, the arrow is on this side of you. David would know everything's okay, but we know everything's not okay, so watch what happens. Verse 35, now it came about in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field for the appointment with David, that's when they're supposed to meet, and a little lad was with him. And he said to the lad, run, find now the arrows which I'm about to shoot. And the lad was running and he shot arrows past him. Now remember, if it's short, and he says, it's on this side of you, there's safety. But if he says, it's on the other side of you, if it's long, there's harm coming. When the lad reached the place of the arrows which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called to the lad and said, it's not the arrow beyond you. That's the signal. That's the sign. David knows. David hears it. David knows, oh no, it's over. He's going to try to kill me. And Jonathan then called after the lad and said, hurry, be quick, do not stay. And Jonathan's lad picked up the arrow that came, came to his master, and the lad was not aware of anything. Only Jonathan and David knew. They, the little guy didn't know that David was hiding out there. And then Jonathan gave his weapon to the lad and said to him, uh, go bring them to the city. So he said, you go on inside, I'll, I'll be there later. I'll be there later. This is the signal. This is the signal to David that there's the danger, and he knows it. And David's going to come. You know, you could almost think, what about David? David's done everything right. His best friend is Jonathan. They've been, they're like brothers. And he wants to be with Jonathan, but now he knows he's got to, he can't be with Jonathan. He's going to have run for his life. His only hope is that one of these days, Saul's going to die, and he'll become king, and Jonathan can be with him. That's the plan. So he comes out, and look what happens. 
Verse 41, when the lad was gone, David rose from the south side, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed three times, and they kissed each other, and they wept together, but David wept even more. David wept more because he had, he had never had a friend like this, never had anybody like this. Now, let me tell you, I, I want to remind you that they're not the same age. David may be 18 or 19 years old by now. Jonathan's probably in his 30s. Saul's in his 50s or 60s. So they are close, not just because they're the same age. They're close because they believe the same way. They love God. They want to live for God. They're godly men. When I look at Jonathan in the Bible, I think Jonathan's one of the great men of the Old Testament. You know, we always say people like Moses and Noah and David and all that. Jonathan is incredible. He's an incredible man. So David goes and he bows down before that showing honor and respect and he wept, and they kissed each other, and all of this. And then Jonathan said to David, now watch. And by the way, I want to put this up. It's so good to have a friend that'll be with you. Listen, in our body, we got so many people that love one another. It's amazing. That's the key thing. The key thing is, he says, they'll know, God, Jesus said, they'll know that you belong to me by your love for one another. We need to take the time to make sure we connect with people, that we love people, that we get close to people. We all need the friends. Now, husband and wife, that's one thing. But it's also guys that find another guy that's your buddy, that's your friend, that, that can help you and iron sharpen iron. And the same thing for women, that you find another a lady that matches you and helps you grow. And, that, and that's okay to do that. And that's what David and Jonathan were doing. And it's important to have people that will be with you, having a good friend. So watch the end of this, of this chapter. And he says this, Jonathan said to David, go in safety in as much as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord will be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he arose and departed while Jonathan went into the city. They had made a vow that if David died, Jonathan would take care of David's family. And if Jonathan died, David would take care of his family. That's what they made a vow. They made a covenant with one another. They, they kept their word, and they're going to do that. And we're going to see, and of course, you know the stories. You know the Bible. They go, they go into a battle. Saul and Jonathan go into a battle while David is still on the run, and Jonathan is killed in the battle. So David never gets to have Jonathan to help him as the king. It always made me sad to think that Jonathan died in that battle because they would have been great together, but that wasn't the plan. Well, what is David going to do? It says that he rose and departed, that's David, while Jonathan went back into the city. Where's David going to go? You remember the first time Saul tried to kill him? David went to Samuel and was with him for a while, but Saul sent a whole bunch of people trying to kill him there. So look what he's going to do this time. He's going to go to the priest, verse chapter 21. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, why are you alone and nobody's with you? Now he's going to see the priest. The priest was at a place called Nob, which was not really very far away from Jerusalem, and uh, that was where they had the tabernacle and they had to offer the sacrifices and all of that was there. And so David comes there and Ahimelech comes out and he sees David. And uh and by the way, the priest, of course, stayed there. That's Ahimelech. And when he comes out, it says he's trembling to meet David. And he says, why are you alone and no one with you? Now, it was very rare that David would be by himself. And so when he came, Ahimelech came out and he said, something doesn't seem right. Something's not right here. Why are you alone? Why are you by yourself? Now, once again, David's going to lie. Now, David's lying because he thinks He's going to protect the priest. Watch what David says. And David said to Halimelech, 
The king has commissioned me with a matter that he said to me, let no one know anything about the matter on which I'm sending you and which I've commissioned you, and I've directed the young men to a certain place. So David says to him, I'm on a secret mission for the king, and I've got some men. They're not with me right now, but I've got some men, and we need some help. That's what he says. He's lied. Now, he thinks I'm going to protect the Helimelech because if I told Helimelech that I'm running from Saul, they might come after him. So I'm going to protect him. Well, I want you to realize that he doesn't protect him. This doesn't work. He thinks that he is protecting the priest, but we'll see what happens. Look at verse 3. David says to him, Now, therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you got. And the priest answered and said, There's no ordinary bread on hand, but there's the consecrated bread, if only the young men have kept themselves from women. Now, let me explain what happens. He said that we don't have any. David said, You got any food? We're starving. He's starving. He's acting like he's got a bunch of men and they're all starving. He said, you got any bread? And the priest says, well, I don't, have any, I don't have any food. Now, the only bread I have here is what we call the bread of the presence. Now, I want you to understand, you remember in the tabernacle, there was a front room. And when you walked in the front room and you turned to the right, there was a table and it was called the table of showbread. And it had 12 loaves of bread on it. And each one represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, at the first of a week, they would cook 12 new loaves of bread, they would walk, a priest would walk in there, he would take the old loaves, set them over here, put the new ones down, take the old ones out, and the priest would eat the old loaves of bread. Under the law, only the priests were supposed to eat the loaves of bread. So David says, you got any bread? And the guy says, well, the only bread I got is the bread in there. But here's what he says. He says, there's no ordinary bread on him, but there is the consecrated bread if only the young men have kept themselves from women. Now, what he says is this. You got men out there, and the only people that could ever eat this kind of bread is pure people, meaning that they don't have sexual stuff that's wrong. They don't have sin in their lives. They've got to be pure men. And he says, uh, they haven't had, haven't had sex with women, have they? If I could give you the bread if, if they haven't had sex with women. Look what he says. David answered and said to the priest, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when we set out. The vessels of the young men were holy. Though it's an ordinary journey, how much more of the day than they'll be holy? He said, Leah, we're doing the best we can. We're holy as we can be at this thing. Now, David's lying again because there aren't any men. It's just him. But here's the truth. He's going to give him the bread, and here's the truth. We find a principle. If there's a need, a ritual can be passed over. Because the ritual was only the priest could eat it. But if somebody's starving to death, would you give them the bread? Yes. Now, let me remind you of a story that Jesus taught. And this is in Matthew chapter 12. The disciples were going through the green fields. And it was on the Sabbath day. And they were taking the husk and they were rubbing them and they were eating them. And some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, your men are, your, your men are violating scripture. They're eating stuff they're not supposed to eat. On the Sabbath day. And Jesus didn't even answer the part about eating what you're not supposed to eat because it wasn't wrong for them to eat that. But the real issue was the Sabbath day. Could they walk through a field on the Sabbath day? And Jesus said, they can walk through a field on the Sabbath day. You remember the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The rituals were made for us, not us for the rituals. And sometimes when there's a need, we say, we don't care about that ritual. And see, we're forced now because we're a church that we don't have a lot of rituals, right? I mean, we don't hardly have any rituals. 
And there's some churches that are all rituals, and sometimes you can talk to people. In fact, I, I just visited a church that uh, over the, when I was going to visit my family, I, I went to a church that's very ritualistic, and I even asked some of the people, I said, why do you do that? And you know what they said? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. And so we have to realize that sometimes rituals, a need of a person goes way beyond the ritual. And Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So we're not dealing with moral law here. We're dealing with a ritual. And so the priest actually says, well, the only bread I got is this. If you guys are really hungry, you can eat this bread, but just make sure you're pure because you're not supposed to eat it if you're not pure. And David says, well, best we can tell we're pure. Of course, once again, he's lying because he's running. He's the only one. So look at verse 6. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, for there was no bread but the bread of the presence, which was removed before the Lord in order to put the hot bread in his place when it was taken away, swapped out once a week. Now, there's a problem. Look at the problem. Now, one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. This man's not Jewish, by the way. He's at the priest, he's at the tabernacle, and he saw the priest help David. What's going to happen to him? What's going to happen? You know, David has lied to protect the priest, but he's not going to be able to protect him. Doeg is there, and we're going to find that Doeg is an evil man. An evil man. And we'll see it. He's a servant of Saul. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to go back and tell Saul. He said, I saw Ahimelech help David. What do you think's going to happen? Let me give you some applications from our passage. Let's love one another. You see the relationship of Jonathan and David, and they're, 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 they're close. They're called kindred spirits. You see in the Bible, uh, Paul and Timothy, they're called kindred spirits. You see in the Bible, Luke tied in with Paul and those kind of things, and Peter and, and, Bar- and uh, Barnabas, and, and, uh, and you see Peter and Mark, they're all tied together. Who in your life is a friend? Let's love one another. We're the body of Christ. We've all got different gifts, talents, and abilities, but we're to love one another. That's what we're supposed to do. And I've watched you over the years. You're amazing people. You love one another, and that's what we're supposed to do. So reach out, love others, and, and, and when you find a friend, build in that relationship, and that's what we've got to do as we continue to build in each other's lives. The second thing I just want you to think about is um, let's keep our word. Because that's what Jonathan and David are going to do. Remember what they said? If anything, David says to Jonathan, if anything ever happens to you, I'll take care of your kids. And Jonathan says, if anything ever happens to you, I'll take care of your family. They made a vow and they kept their word. And the Bible says, keep our word. In fact, the Bible says this, let our yes be yes and our no be no. You don't, even have, you don't have to swear. You don't have to say, I swear to God. All you have to say is yes, because your character should be enough. You don't want to have and say, I said yes, but I had my fingers crossed. No. Be a man or a woman of your word. And when you say it, you do it. When you say no, no. When you say yes, yes. Let's keep our word. 
The third thing is, let's trust God in the trials. Now, David's on the run. He's on the run. And from, we've already seen, for the next, it's going to be about eight more chapters. David's going to be on the run for eight chapters. And he's going to be running from Saul. He's going to have to trust God. And you know, sometimes things don't go right. Let me, let me ask you something. Are things going right for Saul? The answer is no. He was king, and then he didn't obey God. He's got rejected as king. He's become jealous. He's become envious. He's become angry. He's after his own son. He's after David. If you ask Saul, hey, are things going good? He'd say, they're going terrible. And you're not trusting God. But what about David and Jonathan? Are things going good for him? No. David's on the run for his life. He's supposed to be the king, and he's running for his life. Jonathan's best friend is running for his life, and his own dad's trying to kill his best friend. So if you said, Jonathan and David, are things going good? They'd say, no. But they trust God. And that's what we have to do. In the trials and the problems and the issues of life, we have to say, Lord, I have to trust you. I don't understand it. I don't understand everything that goes on, but I trust you. And I want to live according to the word of God. The last one is just a very simple one, and that is let's understand that need surpasses rituals. They do. I mean, when we find out there's needs, and let me just say this about you, that I said this in the first service, so I have to say this to you as well. One of the things I notice about our church is that when you know there's a need, you meet it. When you find out somebody has a need, when somebody in our body or something goes on and you, you know that there's a need, you reach out, y'all together come together, and you meet that need. And I thank God for you because I've watched you do it for years. And so this is just simply saying that sometimes there's rituals and things that you just overlook because of the needs that some people have. David needed bread. He said, here's the bread. The men needed the grain, and that was on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, Sabbath's made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so let's understand that needs, always a need surpasses rituals.